I've got my message this morning and that very much that I was, was considered really this morning. But I got my message by church. And what is there? Is there really a need for church and society today? Is there a need for what we do and the way we gather? And uh, we can go back 2,000 years in the sense where Jesus started the church. And, and so we need to ask ourselves some of those questions to tell ourselves. I've been very privileged um, over the last 20 years to be able to travel to most parts of the world with ministry and being able to minister in other churches and other countries. And uh, so tell us up, whenever we, we've been in one of these countries, we've been in the Ukraine, we've been in Europe and Germany and, and you know, Prague and all these places, the thing that always gets us is that on our down days when we're not ministering, that you always go and decide to first. And when you, I don't know how many of you guys have been in Europe or France or those places, the cathedrals are just in the most incredible stuff in the world. They are the most magnificent cathedrals you can imagine. I, we're in the middle of a building project and we those are built. You know what I mean? We're still thinking whether we're going to build bricks. Those guys, I think just their steeple probably cost the amount of our building, you know? But I mean, they built and they built solid. The sad thing was that they won't empty. And they all become museums or they become places where tourists go. And so you walk from the one church into the next church, into the next church, into the next church, and there would be nothing. There would be no congregation members, there would be nothing. It was simply something that was just bought and has gone down and is dilapidated. And, and we always said that, so comes up, this is a sad thing, we always said to ourselves, no, why? What happened? You know, what happens to a magnificent building like this that all of a sudden just becomes this piece of art in the sense? What was the purpose of it? Why was it built? Uh, you know, why do people think about it at the end of the day? And I, uh, I started doing a little bit of a, a study this week just on the churches over the country and, and in the world. And I did this because I think often at times we ask ourselves that what we're doing, is it, is it necessary? You know, are, are we on the right track? Are we speaking the right things? Are we preaching the right things? Why are the churches anything up more than they're filling up? Why is Christianity come up the way we do? That we miss something? Is our worship wrong? What, is, what do we need to do to change? I think often we go through this process where we self-evaluate ourselves. I think most of you, even you know, in this place, you've self-evaluated where am I with God? Where am I in this journey that I'm going through right now? And I actually did a quite a shocking, a really shocking sermon that was done just before COVID. And we know the effect that COVID has had, had on the church. Now this sermon was done just before COVID in 2018. And so you've got to understand, it's probably worse than what the figures suggest right now. But I want to read them to you, and I just want you to grab a hold of, of what is happening here. The Church of England closed about 20 churches a year. Approximately 200 Danish churches have now been deemed, deemed non-viable or underused in Denmark. The Roman Catholic Church in Germany has shut down 515 churches in the last few years. And in Europe and in the Netherlands, the Roman Catholic Church estimates that two-thirds of the 1,600 churches will be closed within the next 10 years. While approximately 700 Protestant churches will close in the next four. Germany and France have only percentage of 10% of the Christian population that actually attend church. How's that? In France, the number is only 5% of believers attend church. And, and it's crazy when you think about it that there are 45,000 different denominations in the world right now. 45,000 different denominations and dividing about approximately 
do believe Christians. So I had to ask myself then, like, what we wrong? What is going wrong in the world around us? How is it possible that we just go to church after church after church after church and the church is not growing, the church is not going where it should be? And I think often we need to ask ourselves a very simple question and it's this. What does the word of God say church should be? Because I think in the problem in church life is that often we're building church according to suit our needs. We, 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 we go to a church that, that will preach a message that we might like and that we might enjoy. And they did that, this survey now in the, last, in, the, in the last year sometime where they asked the millenniums. Millenniums, is that right? Is that millenniums. Millenniums. They asked them a question. Basically, why aren't you guys attending church? What would you like the church to look like? And this was their response. We want shorter sermons, not longer than 20 minutes. Alright? We want happy sermons that make us feel really good when we leave the building. We want to feel welcome. We want the service to suit our service style. We want to be in a better location and we want to be more friendly. And so the list goes on. And so that's you guys that um, really want this kind of thing. But, but it is a real thing for you to study and read up and say, God, what, is, what are you saying? What is, what is happening in our lives right now? And, and the first question I, I need to ask myself was this, because I think we're always pushing for more. We know, we, you know what, there's going to be more, there's going to be an outpouring of God, and there's going to be a revival, and God's going to do this, and God's going to shift the nation. And as I was preparing the sermon, God just wrote one thing in my heart, He said, we could. What does revival look like to you? What does revival look like to you? And I really have to think about that. You see, because when we speak about revival, we always speak about, well, we want signs, wonders, miracles to start to take place. We want the buildings exploding. It's nothing wrong with that. Buildings exploding with people. And, you know, we've got all that kind of stuff. But what does revival really look like to Jesus? And what is the purpose if we want to revive in the church? What does that look like? Because you see, there's one thing I realized that as we've traveled and we've seen all these cathedrals is, is that they weren't built for the glory of God. They were built for the glory of man. That the one would out try and outbuild the next one. That the one cathedral would out try and outbuild the next one. When we were in the Czech Republic, I keep on saying last year, but we missed the year. So it must have been the year. No, it was last year. It was last year. We were there. We went to um, St. Vesta. St. Vesta Cathedral is the biggest cathedral in, in, in Czech Republic, Prague. And this is where the Archbishop sits. So the Archbishop of the Roman Catholic Church, that's his office. It is the most massive building you've ever encountered in your life. But what has happened was it was built in the 1400s by one of the kings as a statement of God's glory and of his own wealth. And so what happened was, is that through the times, different religions have almost taken over the building and captured it and recaptured it and recaptured it. So when you, when you stand in front of the building, you would have a picture on the front of Jesus on the cross and then next thing you'd have two gargoyles. We know the gargoyles are little demons coming out next to it. And so as different religious going to the church, they all built their own thing on the building. That every, every church that was in that building added their own belief to the building. So the outside of the building sometimes represents exactly what is happening on the inside. How demons are coming out of the walls, how people are looking at the scariest thing is to, you know when you get that head standing up on the back of your neck and you walk past the place? That is what it feels like. And yet to them, 
it's the founding place, it's the, where the Archbishop of, of the Roman Catholic Church sits. I'm not the Roman Catholic Church, just my sermon. But, but I, I looked and I thought, what is it that Jesus really desires of us at this time? And as I did that, I went to you know, Matthew 2, 21, I want you to turn there. I'm going to read a little bit. But we all know the story of Jesus, how he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember, Jesus had Lazarus had been dead for a, a couple of days. And um, the sisters were quite offended at the fact that Jesus didn't come soon enough to come and resurrect Lazarus. And then we find him walking towards Jerusalem. And the word of God said that he spent the night in Bethlehem page. And the next morning he said to his disciples, I want you to go into the city. He says that when you find there, you will find a donkey and a colt. A donkey and a colt. You can understand something. We always keep this wrong because I, I looked at this because we always thought that there was a donkey and a baby donkey. But it wasn't. It said there was a donkey and a foal. So what does that mean? It was donkey and there was a, a smaller horse that went together. And Jesus said, bring them to me. He says, you go to the owner. And you say to the owner, Jesus is in need of your donkey, your grown-up donkey and your baby horse in a sense. And the word of God said that they took this thing and they threw it over the foal, which was the baby horse, and Jesus rode in on, into the city. But I'm going to read it for you, and I'm going to start chapter verse. Okay, let's, let's start at the top. Okay. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent, sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied up and a colt with her loose there, and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And at the, at, all this was done, that it might be fulfilled when it was spoken of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, the prophet, prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. And that brings it different. But it says this, is that in Zechariah 9 9, it actually says that. In Zechariah 9 9, the prophets of old says, Your dog, your king, will be coming. Now you've got to understand something, that when we look at Revelation 19 19, it says, Our king is coming on a white horse. And so there's, there's, there's just a difference between Jesus first coming through on a colt on a little, on a little uh, uh, with a donkey. Why? Because it began, it meant that he came in absolute peace. He didn't come for war. What the Roman or what the Jewish people were hoping for was a God of war. They wanted a God to deliver them from the Roman rule. They wanted a God to come and take away all their problems. They didn't want to live in oppression anymore. And so when they realized, when they raised that from the dead, a lot of them realized, man, this, this is the Messiah that the prophets had been speaking about. This is Him. This is Him. And the word said what they did was they took palm leaves, they threw it all over the ground, they took their clothes, and they threw it all over the ground, and they started to shout. And, and this is what they shouted. So the disciples went and did as Jesus told them. Verse 9 says, Then the multitude who went before those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Who knows what the word Hosanna means? The word Hosanna means save us or save now. It's an incredible statement. Because as Jesus entered in, they started to cry, save us, save us now, save us, the Messiah, save us now. You see, the problem was, is that, is that they didn't want what Jesus or who Jesus was. What they wanted was what Jesus could do for them. Yeah. You see, there's a big difference. There's a big difference between welcoming Jesus in as the Messiah, as the Son of God that, that was about to die and give us eternal life. And there's a difference between just celebrating Him because why? He's going to take away my problems and my needs. And I think often in church, this 
this is where we struggle, is that a God in need is a God in need. Two amens, three amens. That it's easy to come and worship God when we need something. It's easy to come to church when my bank balance is not looking so good, or my wife is not behaving the way she should, or my kids are out of control, or I've lost my job, or I'm about to lose my car. You know, a God in need is a God in need, and that's easy to worship like that. And that's what they were screaming, saying, save us, save us, save us now, save us from these people. And we didn't get the fact that he came to save them from eternal damnation. It was so much bigger than just to save them from the Romans. He came to save them from eternal damnation. He came to save them from hell and sin and death and the grave. But all they caught was a glimpse. And sometimes a glimpse is all we need to get what Jesus was doing. The crazy thing about this was that I tried to read up and I couldn't get to the exact timing of this. But as I thought about this, I thought, you know, I wonder if Jesus entered the city during the time of prayer. Because the way I looked at the map, and I tried to look at the map and the gate that he went in, and somewhere on the line in my heart, I was like, I wonder if he walked past the temple. Because in the temple, were all the religious leaders during prayer time praying for the return of the Messiah. And yet, walking past their door outside, this Messiah walked right past them. Is it possible we can, we can miss Jesus in all of this? Is it possible that we can be so focused on praying for Him to do some stuff for us that He walks past behind us that we don't even know He's there? How many of us come to church on a Sunday? And this is not a heavy message. Listen to me. This is, this is a good message. I'm going to give it a good one. <laughs> but how many of us miss the fact that when we walk through those doors and we sit here for an hour and a half or whatever and we leave, that none of us have changed? That none of us have come to encounter Him. That all we've come is to do a religious practice. And we're no different to the guys in the temple because it's easy to sin the church. And it's easy to do all these kinds of things and, and lift our hands and praise God. And you know, we pray for the Messiah. And, and yet, everything that Jesus did happened outside of the temple. There were only two miracles He did that were in the temple. And He was terribly crucified for, uh, uh, remember, uh, chastised for it. The woman with the weather day, remember? With the and so I just had this moment thinking myself, what is it that this generation needs to come back to church? Because you see, we've got to ask ourselves, what is it that we've got to present to the world? What have we as a church got to present to the new generation? Why aren't our kids coming to church? Why are our 20-year-olds, our 25-year-olds, our 28-year-olds, our 30-year-olds not wanting to be here? Has it become a religious act? Has it become something that we are forced upon them? Has it become something that has hurt them? As a lot of people say, the church hurt me, kind of thing. What is it? Have we got bread in this house? We said we're not going to speak rugby today because the shops beat team played last night. Gary Stein, you're listening. Well done, Tom. <laughs> sorry, man. But you're sorry, whatever. <laughs> But even that, I, 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 I watched a few segments of the game, I didn't have time really to watch it. But I looked at the stadiums at the ending, and I thought to myself in that minute, do you know that those, those, those stadiums used to hold 50,000 people? Can you now imagine being yourself in the middle of a 50,000 strong crowd? I'm not the most of a freak, I can go check it. You know? <laughs> 
thousand people used to attend that crowd. Why? Because they had faith that the team that was playing would represent them well. You see, that stadium, it doesn't matter how many millions and millions and millions of brands. And I think we've got that example in our part of the region. We've got probably one of the greatest, greatest stadiums in South Africa. The problem is we haven't got a team. And if we haven't got a team, guess what? Nobody comes to watch. We've got about 10 or 15 die hard every Sunday, kind of thing, Saturday. But if we haven't got a team, will we go watch? Are you going to go sit in an empty stadium that takes 60,000 people simply just to watch a 99-3 score? And I'm using that as an example today because if there's nothing in the house, why would we be coming to the house? You see, there's one thing that I realized that while I traveled Europe, while I went around looking at all these cathedrals, and there was one thing that was missing. There was one thing that was missing. You know what was missing? The people. And we've said this how many times before, that we are the church of Jesus Christ. We're not a building. We're not a cathedral. We're not some kind of a temple. You and I, we are the body of Christ. But if the body of Christ fails to do what it is called to do, then cathedrals and churches and temples go empty. You see, it's not about government. It's not about anything else. It's have we somewhere along the line lost our passion? We lost that you and I seriously got to God and say, Father, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, save us, save us now. Bring about a change in our society, Father. Bring about a change in our nation. But you've got to understand something, that God cannot bring change in our nation, that God cannot bring change in government, that God cannot bring change in schools until He brings change in a church. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. And if we are the body of Christ, we are the ones that need to go into all the world and make disciples of all men, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's our calling. And that's our gifting. But somewhere on the line we make church so comfortable that none of us are practicing anymore. None of us are practicing. What do I mean by practicing Christian? Well, when I speak about a practicing Christian, let's speak about other religions. When we speak about practicing, they are on the prayer mat two or three times a day. They read the word out loud two or three times a day. If you live in the neighborhood, you hear it on the loudspeakers two or three times a day. And when we speak about practicing Christians, what does a practicing Christian look like? That do you consider yourself to be a Christian or do you consider yourself to be a practicing Christian? And there's a difference. Because we can all be Christians. The Christians simply do stuff. We come to church. We come to worship evening. We read the daily devotion that somehow wrote 300 years ago. You know, we might just do one or two songs on the way to work and say that little 30 second prayer just to make sure that everything's okay during the day. But when we speak about Christians, practicing Christians, is men and women that are glued to the Word of God, that are desperate for the presence of God, and that are going to the world and making disciples of men. If you want to categorize yourself as a practicing Christian, you need to be practicing something. And coming to church isn't practicing anything. You see, the problem is that we've, we've, we've traded in His presence for performance. We trade in His presence for performance. I was actually going to just be a little bit different this morning and be a bit of a, a twat. But I was going to pack up all the chairs. I felt like packing up all the chairs and all the sun coming off the stage. 
Assembly time, what are we here? Are we here for worship? Are we here for the chairs? Are we here just to see one another? Or are we here to learn the art of being a practicing Christian? Are we growing in the things of God? Are we growing in what God is saying in our lives? And every week we prepare the table. Every week the chairs are packed out perfectly. One must be. We're praying. And the music has to be right. And you gauge, you gauge your Sunday, not by the encounter that you're having with Jesus. You gauge your Sunday by what the entrance of people were like. And how the car God treated you. Do you know that 80% of people that attend church for the first time make a decision whether they will return to that church before the pastor is preached? 80% of people attending church for the first time have made a decision before the pastor preaches whether they will return or not. You see, when we, when we sold out the performance not presence, there's something goes wrong. You know, I remember, I, and my staff will know that I was, I, I, I am very... OCD when it comes to some stuff, especially church life. Everything has to be perfect. And it has to be perfect for me because it's my sacrifice to God. So it's what I do. I love preparing the house. Ask myself, on Thursday I'll come here, I'll pack up all the chairs, I'll sanitize everything, I'll squirt everything down, I'll squirt door handles, make sure everything's fine. Why? Because when I come in here on the Sunday, I know it's prepared. But, but I said to myself, I wonder how many people would keep coming if I could stop you, if I didn't prepare it. How many of you could walk in here, the chairs all back and messed up? And no, thank you, Paul. And there was nothing, and there was nothing at the door. There was no sanitizer at the door. People just did what they wanted to. And I, I do feel appreciative today, so you know, Andrew, can you just say something? You know, didn't feel like today. Wasn't in the mood, or maybe this is a Sunday morning. I feel like a bit of sick. You know what I mean? I was like, I think I've got a cold. I mean, you can do that at work. Why can't I do that at work? I mean, you can't do it on a Monday. Why can't I do it on a Sunday? <clears throat> but it's a very real thing. Because I think the problem why most churches are standing empty all over the place is one that people have forgotten what it is to be in His presence. They've forgotten. And they're doing churches like we did it 300, 400 years ago. And they just want to wear the robes and the hats and the chains and the smoke and the crosses and all these kinds of things. And we're living in a generation that is not interested in all that stuff anymore. We're living in a generation where it doesn't care what the pastor looks like. They don't care if he wears short pants or, or he wears long pants. What they're interested in is that they, they want to encounter with him. They want to encounter with Jesus. That's what church is about. And we need to start to ask ourselves, because as I look at this, as I look at the sermon of Jesus entering the temple, we know what he does. Because he enters, he goes right past, right past the temple. And he doesn't turn. And what he doesn't turn, he doesn't turn into the market. Why? We all know the story. He all had a whip. Sorts out the temple one shot. Turns out the tables. Chases the money changes away. Not because there was a problem with him selling stuff in the church. Or in the, the temple, because that was customary. That's what they used to do. But you see, they started to move away a little bit from the calling. You see, because when, Jesus, when God spoke, He said that when you bring me a sacrifice, it has to be without spot, without blemish, and it has to be the firstborn. You see, there was a criteria that God put down for His people. This is what I desire of you. The problem is that everyone was too lazy enough to bring the firstborn because it was normally the better one. So what they would do is they would go to the temple and they would buy an animal. And most of the time why Jesus turned the temple upside down was because most of the animals were sold that were being sold were crippled. 
and sick. That wasn't the very best. And often we do that. Often we do that. Often our sacrifice when we come to church is not our very best. It's not, well, God, we are because we want to get to worship this morning. God, we are because we want to get your presence this morning. We just grab a dove off the shelf, throw ten rand down and say, God, we hope you show up. He turned the devil upside down. And he says one profound thing. He says, my house. My house. You see, there's something I have to learn in that phrase. Is that it's not our church, it's his church. There's something I have to learn that this is not, this is not my people. This is his people. I'm just saying, I'm a shepherd here. I'm a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. All of it is take care. But it's his. And he clearly states that. He walks past the temple. They're screaming, Hosanna, save us, save us now. He walks in the temple, he turns everything upside down because it's the mess. Because the very best is not being brought to, to his father. Just the leftovers have been brought. And he says, my house, my house, shall be called the house of prayer. Oh, that hit me. That hit me so hard. When he said that. Because for me, that is the very starting point of where every church should be. Do you know what? There should be more prayer meetings than Sunday services in praise in, in churches. Isn't it amazing that you can have a guest speaker and you just put down the bottom that he or she is a prophet and you fill the church. Okay? But then we say, okay, when's it been meeting for a prayer meeting and three people rock up? We live in a generation where our kids have seen so much more than we've ever seen. They've encountered so much more than we've ever encountered. Monday I um, sat down and I had this, this real moment with God, the two of us, and I was just praying for everything, you know, just praying for my kids and grandchildren, and, you know, just being found like, God, you just got to bless them, you know, just, just as, you know, my heart where I am, I'm emotional, but, you know, just as my father's heart, you know, I just want you to bless them, not because of what I've done, not because of what they are, I want you just to bless them because you love them. It was great because both they came and said, you're not going to believe what happened. I've got this job, I've got this job, I've got this job, I've got this job. And they were stuck. They were all as I spoke to my kids. And 30 seconds later, my microphone blows up. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I've got to pray for myself. Eh? <laughs> what did you do? But there was such a madness in it because we've been this whole week without a microwave. Do you know how hard that is? I'm serious. When does it you got people out of microwave? I mean, we just use that thing 24-7. Warm up the food, warm up the horse, warm up the protectors, warm up the milk, warm up the cereal. And that's what that thing does. And all of a sudden it gets taken away. I'm like, oh God, my walls fall into pieces. But so I was like, I'm going to warm up the food. I'm like, I've got to roast in the frying pan. Going, I don't know, maybe you should just warm up in the pan or put it in the oven. But it was a real thing for me because I realized how comfortable we've become. How comfortable we've become. You've got to understand something that in 1973, my dad bought a TV about six months before TV came on the air. For six months as kids, we watched that SAB sign. You know that? <laughs> that block? We would have our supper and sit in front of the TV and we'd be listening to Squat Cars or Jet Jungle or Game Bay Trainer. Remember, and we would stare at that thing. We would have to stare at like one day, Dad, one day, one day that TV's gonna come back, we're gonna see something. 
you know, fighter, fighter, you have drive off. He was there, he's still on TV. That guy, I tell you, the robot, is not real. But I remember the intensity of seeing this, this TV come to life. Actors don't know what that is. You know, we used to roll up a little tights, remember, they get caught up in the... Never. I mean, I see this while we sit with the tape recorder next to the radio going, and record. And you get a report that everything would have been out your whole your mixed tape would be a mess. Because Monday morning you went to school and you played that in the car, your mixed tape, you know? All those crazy songs. But our generation haven't got a clue what that is. So how do we present something to them that they don't understand? You see, we can say, oh, they're a difficult generation, or they, you know, they're millenniums, or they're, this, or they're just difficult people. But the entire world has changed. And the problem is how we present the gospel has changed, but the message will never change. You see, I've got to ask myself the question, why does everyone feel comfortable riding past the iron house of God and everyone wants you to come inside? It's like we opening up a bakery and not selling bread. What is it we offering them? Are we offering them a personality? Or offering them building size? Or offering them big muscles with t-shirts on? What are they looking for? And I want to say this to you. That yes, they might go to the pastor with the big muscles with the tight t-shirts and, and the tight jeans. And they might go to these massive buildings and all these kinds of things. Why? Because it's not driven. But I'll say to you, the presence is not there, the people don't stay. And it's been a turning point in my life this week. Because I had to ask myself, what it is that we're giving the people here? Are people being fed? Are people walking out of this place different? Are people walking out of this place changed? Are people walking out of this place encountering this real God that we speak about? You see, because we preach about God like He existed. And not like Jesus. We're always speaking about the good old days. Remember when? Remember that revival. Remember when God touched us. I nearly had a heart attack the other day when someone said to me, No, you're speaking about the 70s, it was 50 years ago. <laughs> Most of you were born in the 60s, not even in the 70s. And it's a real thing. And so I looked through this thing and I thought, God, what is it that, what is it that you want us to look at? And I just want to mention like, probably six or seven points that I want you just to grab a hold of your head this morning. Um, and, I, and I want to ask you this. And, and I'm preaching this message. Because you know what? We're building up to Pentecost Sunday. Next Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. Next Sunday, those that went up the room encountered the power of God and never before. And there was this 10-day gap. And most of you, you have a session day service. And there was a 10 day gap. And Pentecost came. And I prepared this message because I want to ask you, how are you preparing for Pentecost Sunday? And please don't get me wrong, every day can be a Pentecost Sunday for you. It's, it's not a set day. But for me, I felt for this church that God has been taking us over the last 40 days just to incredible stuff. An incredible journey and revisiting some stuff and revisiting what we believe, what we stand for, and what it is that we expect in this church, and what we, we, we want God to do, or what we desire God to do. And there were seven things that I noted down. One, and I've said this before, one I had to realize it was His church. It is His church. And we've got to realize that it's His church. 
and we're going to honor him for that. Secondly, when they screamed out Hosanna, when lost, did the church declare that it's only him they can save? You see, as we read the scriptures this morning, Mark 4, or was it Luke 4, where he said, You can ask anything you ask in my name that I'll give you. And, 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 and the question was this what are we asking for? You see, the issue I have is this is that 99% of the things we ask for will improve our life and not society. We always want stuff to make us feel better and for us to be more comfortable. But when Jesus said that whatever you ask in my name and it's the will of the Father, what is the will of the Father? Yes, the will of the Father is that you prosper. Yes, the will of the Father is that you become whole. But the real will of the Father is that all will come to the knowledge of Jesus. You see, when we start to pray and say, Father, use me to change this world. Use me to reach the lost. Use me to touch my neighbor. Use me to touch my fellow workers. Use me to touch the people in my school. Things start to change because now we start to pray the will of God. We start to pray the will of God into our lives. Do you think God just created you? You're coming here on a Sunday, look all pretty, put in your Sunday's best, go home, go to spa, get a lunch, go sit in the bed, watch a GP. Is that it? Because every one of you is so unique and individually formed. The word of God says formed you, knitted you together in your mother's womb. There's not one of you that even look nearly the same yet. And there must be a calling. And you know what? If we don't change stuff in this nation, slowly but surely we're going to end up like the churches in Europe where thousands and thousands of churches are closed. Why? You know what they've done now? That most of those churches now have decided to go to Orthodox Christianity. Orthodox Christianity simply means this, that the government now controls what happens in the church. In some countries in Europe, and I'm not going to mention names because I'm speaking of correction, but their path has to be taken off their paycheck. The government takes their part off their paycheck and then allocates it to a church in the area. So if, if Bucks and Gisalo moves into Charlotte, you know, he did it lucky, but if he moved into Charlotte, basically what they would do is they would take his 10% off his salary and give it to us because this is his church. But there was never and there's no need for attendance. I had a friend that evangelized in France. He said to me that most of the cathedrals in France can seat up to 3,000 people. And he says that not one given Sunday is there more than 30 people in that building. Because we can't orthodox. If we have to give to the church, it's my sacrifice. That's it. Orthodox Christianity says that the government takes my sermon, goes through, and then decides what I can preach, what I can't preach. Then we, then we don't really need this anymore, do we? Yes. And, and you know what? Governments are doing that. Because we act like we really don't need this anymore. We're not to be studying the Word of God. We're not as a process to change in your life. We're not as a process of joy and a passion inside of you. We're not to spend time in Thursday night and dancing to Jehovah with us. Thursday night was just one of the most incredible services that we had. Just the presence of God just filled this house. And it was so good because nobody even had to say anything. And we just knew we was here. And I thought to myself when I walked here, this is what people want. They don't want the pastor. They don't want the piano player. They want the presence. 
And every one of you sitting in this room this morning, I know your heart is a desire to go deeper, but you've got to ask yourself, what does deeper look like? What does deeper look like? Your life cannot be, your life cannot be determined by what happens here on a Sunday. Your life can only be determined by this. This is all that matters. You see, I put there one, it's his church, two. We've got to realize he's only one that says three. We've got to realize that programs will cause you to miss him. They were in the temple, selling, doing this stuff, praying for the Messiah to come, and he walked right past the back of them. That when we come to the house of God, we bring our very grace. That it will, and it must be called, the house of prayer. Verse 14, it turns around and it says that, let me go to verse 14, it says yeah, quickly. And then the blind and the lame came to him, listen to this. Then Jesus, let's up, verse 12. Then Jesus went to the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money, changes and seats uh, of those who were selling to sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you made the devil robbers. Listen to this. Verse 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, how do you write a story like that? How can you write a story after seeing the wonderful things that Jesus did in my life, I became angry. <laughs> I was so not that somebody got out of a wheelchair last Sunday. It was terrible that people are now seeing our church. I prefer to have blind people. That's what he's saying here. He carries and says, But when the chief priest described the saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna, save us, save us now, son of David. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, I have, ne I have never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you will have perfect praise. Then he left them and went out of the city of Bethany and he, and he lodged there. It's an incredible story because you know what happened was as soon as he commanded and said, This shall be called the house of prayer, the very next thing that happened was what? The lame and the blind came to the Lord and healed. Let me, let me tell you something quickly. I know people run after signs, wonders, and miracles. But we serve God of signs, wonders, and miracles. We can't throw out the fact. That people can heal. There we go. Good tackle. Come back to But we've got to get to this place in church, and I ask myself that question again. I'm going to ask you, why church? Is there really a need for church society today? And I will say yes, there is a need for church, and there will always be a need to church. There will always be a need to gather together. There will always be a need to take care of each other. There will always be a need to be a house of prayer. There will always be a need for signs, wonders, and miracles. But we're going to make the world know and let the world know that those things are possible in His presence. I am. Um, I can share. This guy won't, won't mind me sharing a typical testimony. But on Wednesday night, I was up during the, the activation of the, the Ascension Day service. During worship, God just said this to me, he gave me these words, and he said to me, I need you to tell someone in this room, really, are you going around this mountain again? Remember? And the word of God just says, tell them they need to turn right. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what it meant. Yeah. Well, I said, well, God, Jared, 
Every time I went down, I said, God says, you can't be in the same place again. Come on, you've been down this mountain before. How many times? Why don't you just turn right? Do you know what God was saying? We did an altar call. Not one person even came to me for prayer. Oh, well, maybe I missed that completely. As I was walking out, a couple stopped me. They said, we need prayer because we need direction. And as I looked at him, he had a little emblem. What does the thing you stick on your jacket? And it was an arrow. And his arrow got in the badge, and his arrow was pointing left. And all I had to do was turn the arrow around. I said, God said, go right. You see, a craziest thing sounds. That man was encouraged. But it took my faith and it took my boldness to do and say those things. And every one of you have got it inside of you, but everyone is terrified to tell people what God is saying. You're terrified to tell them how much God loves them, God's grace and God's mercy, and that God can heal them. And often we don't pray for healing because we don't even know if God can heal in our own strength or who we are. We've got to be fully persuaded, fully convinced that God does the impossible in life and God can change and this house can have bread and people will come in and they will be fed. You know the crazy things? I don't need a church of 5,000. I don't need a church of 5,000 to touch the world. Jesus needed a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And he fed 5,000 and he had 12 baskets left over. Every pastor, all he needs is just two fish and five loaves of bread, or five fish and two loaves of bread. And those loaves and that fish will be sitting right here. But you see, when Jesus breaks you, there's always a multiplication that's going to come in your life. The problem is, is that we never want him to break us. You see, like the guys, we want a feel-good sermon, we want it less than 20 minutes, we want songs that we like, we want to be treated fairly. We want people to be friendly and kind to us. Blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> and so it goes on. But we don't understand that often God will bring us to that place where just the break will bring the multiplication of everything we did. And I've seen many of you over the last few months being broken. Please, God is not breaking you. I want to say this to you, God is restoring you. You see, you can only break something that is fixed. And I don't think any of us are fixed. Yeah. But when God starts to restore, something happens in my life. And that's what God is doing in so many of your lives. You see, I think God is gathering a team that will fill the stadium again. The choice is yours, though. Do you want to play or not? You see, the problem is that, that if we pay our players so much money, all we need them to do is show up at the stadium, then we're still not going to have a team with how much we spend on people. And we can spend millions and millions of rands on buildings. But if we haven't got passionate, spiritual men and women that can fill it, what are we doing? If science wants and miracles aren't following our ministry, what are we doing? If people are walking into that door sick and leaving sick, what are we doing? If people can walk through that door unsaved, they still walk out this door unsaved after sermon, what are we doing? Because then we program in our presence. Can we stand? And I need to share that message with you this morning. Because I really feel in my heart God is building something.
hear me today. There's so many new faces in this church, and there's, there's so many youngsters that are coming in it. I just love it. It makes me emotional. But you know when the youngsters and the sons and the daughters, the young guys in their 20s, they start coming to the church, you know what it says to me? God's busy creating a hunger out there. You see, us old buddies, eh? Us old buddies. It's very much short of myself now. Us old buddies. You see, we become so accustomed to doing things in a certain way that if something doesn't change, we will die doing it. And when God stirs the younger generation, the younger generation are the ones that rap us. And they're saying this, we don't do this like this anymore. I remember when I used to play cricket. I used to do a false bowler. So you only have two balls you can bowl. One that swung in, one that swung out. Now you watch IPL. They've got 800 different balls, a knuckle ball, or this ball, or this ball, you know, overlong ball. Why? Because the world is progressing. And the Church of Jesus Christ is progressing. And the God, you've got to understand something, that the church is at the moment, listen to me, the church, you guys at the moment, are preparing the world for the return of Jesus. Yes. That's why we gathered in this house. Because you're being equipped for the harvest. Matthew 10, 10 says, the words of God says, the harvest is ready. The harvest is ripe. But the laborers are few. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest for laborers. And I'm standing in front of you as your pastor today. I'm saying, Lord, please, 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 just send me harvesters. Men and women that are prepared to work their knuckles to the bone. Men and women that will not compromise your presence for a program. Men and women that are not interested in how we do stuff. They're interested in why we do stuff. And you can just tell your accent this morning. But I tell you, he has evangelists, he has pastors, he has prophets, he has apostles standing in our midst this morning. The deal sings this one song where he says there's a miracle right in this room. There's a miracle waiting to happen right in this room. And you know what the great is? People get healed, people get delivered, people see it, they lay walk. But to me, the greatest miracle of all is when God takes us and He wipes away everything that we've done and He puts us on a clean slate and He says, I love you because I love you. And that's enough. And now I want you to go into the rest of the world and love them the way that I love you. By this, we'll all we know that you are my followers, the love that you have one for another. If you cannot love your Christian brother, you cannot love your unsaved brother. If you cannot walk in peace and harmony in this house, you cannot walk in peace and harmony in the streets. And this is where it starts. Because today I'm trusting God that God's going to send you a place. That little ember, that little coal of His glory that is in you. I'm going to pray today that the Holy Spirit of God starts to breathe upon that ember and that you will come and become a raging fire for the kingdom. Because the way we stand right now is we're not doing a great job of filling in heaven and plundering in hell. And we need to. We're preparing the way for him. You see, the first time that Jesus came on a donkey, he came as a man of peace. The next time the word of God says in Revelation 19, 19, he's coming on a white horse. And then he's coming as the king of all. We're preparing for that day. We're 
preparing for that great day where the trumpet sounds and in a blink of an eye we're in the presence of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Father, just come. Just come. Yes. Yes, we do need church. Yes, we are the church. Yes, we desire your presence in our program. Yes. Lord, we desire to see the lost come in Christ, those in Christ grow, and our communities change. But Father, we also know that a church is not a church if there's no people inside. And I don't want this to be a museum, I want this to be a house of worship and a house of prayer. And Father, I want to pray now, Spirit of God, that in this week as we build up to Pentecost Sunday, that you start to stir in people's hearts, to stir in people's lives, to stir in their prayer life. I pray that we become people of power and people of prayer and people of praise during this week. I pray that in today something has shifted in our heart. And yes, we understand that we are screaming out again, save us, Jesus, save us now. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Don't miss the Messiah today. Don't miss him because of programs. Don't miss him because of offenses. Don't miss him because of doctrine. Don't miss him because of worship and songs that you don't like. Just accept the fact that he is who he is. He's Jesus. And he's never late. And he's never late. And he will never give up on you. And don't you dare give up on him. And yes, you've been through that breaking phase in your life over the last couple of months and years. But I want to say to you, the multiplication is coming. The multiplication is coming. The excess is coming in your life. And this week I'm, I'm asking you, church, I need you to pray like you've never prayed before. I want you to pray that this will become a house of worship, a house of bread, a house of prayer. I pray that you and I will live life so fulfilled in the kingdom of God that people would want to sit next to us in church on Sunday. That people see change in our lives. You see, ask whatever you want in my name. You've got to ask yourself, what is it that you want? Because I realized that one thing, the word of God says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The righteousness of God is Christ Jesus. And all we so desire, all we so desire, is allow and allow ourselves to fall head over heels in love of Jesus all over again. Not because we don't want to go to hell, but because we love Him, because He first loved us. And so come this morning. Come this morning. Holy Spirit of God. We're going to close the song this morning. And again, I want to say to you, just if you need prayer, maybe your life's not right with God the way it should be right now. Maybe just part of what is happening and not part of what God has called you to. Maybe not walking the calling God upon your life. Don't leave until we pray for you. So Father, we thank you for this week. I pray a blessing over every person online, every person in this building, every person who was unable to attend this morning. I pray on the Spirit of God that you will come and you bring life over us as a church.